Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talks TV and Movie Show. This week on the show, I talk to director and writer Paddy Slattery about his great movie Broken Law, now available on Netflix, and also the effect movies had on his life after a serious car accident that left him in a wheelchair. Mark Ryle reviews Disney's Black Widow and he goes truffle hunting in the Italian hills. Plus, the writer and director of Poster Boy, an Irish road movie made literally on a shoestring, talks to me about his movie and also about his favourite movie. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Farty, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. This week, if you're listening on the radio, because again of the Lions coverage, we're coming to you at 9 on Saturday and also at 8 on Sundays. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well. At the time of talking to you, I'm on the eve of getting my second vaccination. Woohoo. Now I have to start the show this week with this. Yes, and that's the theme tune from Superman, the great John Williams score from the original 1980 movie, which was directed by the great Richard Donner, who sadly passed away at the age of 91 earlier in the week. Now, Richard Donner, to me, was, you know in a certain sense, a perfect filmmaker. This is the man who gave us Superman, the the Superman with Christopher Reeves, the first one, and kind of part of the second one. He was taken off Superman 2 and it all got a bit weird, but in a way, you know, the modern superhero movie can be traced back to him. And that would be, you know, enough in one career, but he also did The Omen, you know. Could it be the greatest horror movie of all time I know a lot of people opt for The Exorcist but by God it's a good one he did Scrooge the one with Bill Murray maybe the greatest modern Christmas movie of all time he also did The Goonies he did the Lethal Weapon franchise this was a guy who was able to do blockbusters but he made sure they were great as well they weren't blockbusters for their own sake they were blockbusters with a heart and an intelligence and I know if you're of my generation uh, if you came of age in the 80s I guess you know he he made movies that were part of your your childhood and your early teenhood so he was a perfect filmmaker in lots of regards so R.I.P. the great Richard Donner now in TV I was watching this what are you doing here diva I thought I fired you not that I know of oh that was the other gay guy I really need to stop getting the two of you confused. I have to admit, I actually thought I was done dealing with my CP, but it still trolls me all the time. Strangers come up to me at the gym and congratulate me simply for exercising. It's super inspiring to see you give it your all, despite your limitations. Ew. Inspiration porn. Is that what that is? What are you working on? I'm actually kind of having a writer's block moment right now. I guess it's just true what they say, you know, it's harder to create when you're happy. You're not happy. It's been two months since you spoke to your mother. How do you know? Samantha told me. You don't see me, but I see you. Now that was a clip from Special, the second season of Special. Now Special landed back in 2019, which I may have spoken to you about back then. The second season landed in May of this year, but I only kind of got around to chatting to you about it this week. It's written and stars a guy called Ryan O'Connell, who's an actor, obviously, and a writer. He also 
has cerebral palsy, CP, he's a gay man. And in a way, this show is, I think it's based on a memoir he wrote. In fact, it is. And it's all about him trying to, as he sees it, live a normal existence, as he would put it, despite the fact that he has cerebral palsy or to live a normal existence with cerebral palsy or CP, as he refers to it. He's a gay man. And the show deals with him trying to make his own life he's incredibly close to his mother who's been this rock all his life and he gets a job in this kind of woke i think it's actually called egg woke this online magazine which is just you know beyond hipster journalism it, it, it it's it's beyond the confines of that the first season was a delight and the second season is equally delightful uh, i just finished it last week the season one ended with him kind of falling out with his mother and season two takes up him you know on the outs with his mother let's say and also beginning a new relationship or possibly a few different relationships it's very honest about living with cerebral palsy and he makes a lot of jokes about it and i guess he's entitled to and it's also quite honest about being a gay man and being a gay man with a disability uh, and it's, you know, aside from all that, though, it is incredibly funny, has a huge amount of heart in it. The last episode in season two got me. It really did. So if you watch the first season of Special, you will love season two because I think it's even better. And if you haven't watched any of them, you should because it is delightful and insightful TV making. Yes, you're listening to Screen Time, News Talks, TV and Movie Show. We turn to the week's new releases, which this week include the big Disney movie, I guess, of the summer, possibly the year, and that's Black Widow, and a very unusual movie called The Truffle Hunters. I'm joined now by a resident critic, Mark Ryle. Mark, how are you? Good, John. How are you? Not too bad at all. All the better for hearing your dulcet, insightful tones. If tones can be insightful, I think they can be. Anyway, Black Widow. Scarlett Johansson finally gets a movie of her own as her character Black Widow in the Marvel Universe. This is available in cinemas and also from Friday the 9th of July on Disney Plus premiere for $21.99. What's happening in Black Widow, Mark? What's happening in Black Widow? Well, um, to start with, I, I'm going to come clean and say I have no idea about the time frame of this, but it obviously takes place at some point before Scarlett Johansson's character was killed off in one of the other um, Marvel movies. Yeah, there are lots um, of different phases that confuse me about this Marvel universe, would, to be honest. You would have to ask somebody who owns uh, Iron Man pajamas about that. I, I really don't have <laughs> much of a clue about it. She's very much alive in this one. Um, it starts off with a, a pretty low-key prologue that is set in 1995 in Ohio, where Natasha Romanoff, uh, Scarlett Johansson's character, and her fake sister and her fake mum and dad, who are played by Rachel Weiss and David Harbour, they are part of a Russian sleeper cell. And and then when their cover is blown, they escape off down to Cuba, where Ray Winston's Russian caricature uh, drugs Natasha and Yelena and 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 sticks them in in the the covert Black Widow program for young Russian assassins. Um, beyond the prologue, it doesn't really waste too much time with with too much unnecessary backstory, and which is I think it's a good thing. I, I don't know about you, but I'm sick to death of origin stories. I really don't yeah. need to know, to be honest with you. Um, and as these things go, it's it's not bad at all. And I actually rather enjoyed it. I think um, for me, the Marvel movies, 
work best are the, the minor league ones where they don't really think people are expecting too much, like Ant-Man or the, the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, and I thought the same about Captain Marvel as well, uh, which I think was two years ago at this stage. And what what I liked about this one was because after, you know, the Black Widow in training, they kind of go off and have various fights with various people. I mean, you described the plot very well. I find it hard to not follow them, but to regurgitate the plots. But But what I did like about this was that for a large part of it, it felt a bit like a Mission Impossible movie or a Born Identity movie. Like it wasn't so much superhero, it's just kind of kick-ass action with Scarlett Johansson and her fake sister, Florence Pugh, uh, just kind of beating up other Black Widows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, I, I think the action is is handled very well. Um, I, I think the, I will say that the editing is a bit hyperactive. I think that comes from the, the fact that Black Widow, it draws heavily on the Born movies. Mm. Um, and I think that it's an influence that works very well for this character. Yeah. Um, but it, at the same time, it's not dark or gritty. It still has that lightness of tone that you would expect. But it is a lot more grounded than your typical Marvel. There is there's a welcome absence of uh, flying wizards and magical gizmos. Mm, yeah. Um, the 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 director Kate Shortland. I'm not really familiar with with her previous work, but she does handle the, the large scale action very well. Um, the, the one th- thing I'll say about Marvel is that they can be applauded for you know stepping up to the plate and supporting female filmmakers. As you said, Captain Marvel um, was co-directed by Anna Boden, and of course the the forthcoming Eternals movie is being directed by Nomadland's Chloe Zhao. I know, I mean, yeah. That seems like an odd choice, but we'll wait and see. We will. And just on that, like Scarlett Johansson, I thought was a very good, uh, I was going to say baddie, but she was very much a goodie, but she was very good at beating people up and jumping off things and flying helicopters. Like she was a very believable action star. Not, not that there's any reason to think that she wouldn't be, but she was great leading a superhero movie. She is, yeah. Um, I am glad that they haven't thrown in a bunch of unnecessary cameos in this and they've allowed Johansson the, the dignity of affronting her own movie. Mm. That's something that um, I think the, the the Tom Holland Spider-Man suffers from. Um, they just threw in a bunch of other characters that were there that weren't really necessary. And there's all you're also not being beaten over the head with a ton of stuff that's setting up more stuff. No. For another ten movies, yeah. But I, what I will say is that I found it quite curious that that Johansson is is pretty sidelined in her own movie, and as the lead, she almost takes a back seat to the other supporting characters. She she's certainly eclipsed by Florence Pugh, who is she's just going from strength to strength with every role. But she's also kind of sidelined by David Harbour, who's playing this sort of yellow pack Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> he he's, he he almost gets as much screen time as Johansson, and but Johansson is a producer here, and mm. she has a considerable amount of clout and script approval. So it it appears that she's been very generous in not hogging all the attention and uh, giving Florence Pugh some of the limelight. Yeah, funny. I I didn't that didn't strike me, but now that you say it, I can see that I did think Florence Pugh was great, and also David Harbour was very funny as this, as you say, yellow pack universal soldier. The one bit of it that I wasn't wild about was just the last, and we don't have to get into spoiler territory or anything, but the last action-packed twenty minutes just we, kind of went beyond the bounds of plausibility, and it went into you know. Just unbelievable action, you know, superhero action, I guess. But it just that didn't really ring through. The further on it went, I don't know how you felt about it. Without fail, um, 
I think, you know, Marvel are really, really good at the setup. But across the board, they seem to have this complete inability to pull off a decent final act. Mm. And their endings are always a mess. And uh, (laughs) this one is no exception. I think... I think once Ray Winston shows up in his secret floating evil fortress, you could probably switch this off and come away with a much better impression. Because for me, uh, the last 20 minutes, is it's just more or less Steve Carell and Anchorman shouting loud noises. And And I'm sensing you didn't enjoy Ray Winston's performance then. Oh, man. Uh, I think Ray Winston, he's he's, he's just terrible as the the big bad guy. I think that's definitely where the savings were made to the budget. Um, uh, But, like, more or less his contribution is consigned to that that final act, that last 20 minutes, um, which, you know, which is where everything falls apart. But beyond that, I mean, that's not that's not a problem that's unique to Black Widow. Um, mm. For me, I think every single Marvel movie just cannot stick the landing. Tell me this, and here's a question for you. I, I was saying earlier in the week, this is kind of a litmus test. You know, we all talked about maybe during lockdown, streaming was coming to the fore, and would people return to theatres, as they call them in the States, when you go to the cinema? Here's a movie that's getting a cinema release, and two days later, you can pay 21 quid or 22 quid to watch it at home. Do you think people should see this in the cinema? I take, I, I mean, I would, I would enjoy it if I saw it in the cinema. Mm. Um, the one thing I will say about that, though, is that it did strike me that about 15 minutes after I finished watching it, I couldn't remember anything about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what would you say stars-wise? Uh, I'm going to give it a three. I, it's, it's really not bad at all. Yeah, I think I'm going to give it a three as well. Only because I was I was half verging on a four because I thought it was a very good action movie. But it does have that, and maybe it's my age, but that I get with a lot of these Marvel movies that I can't remember a bunch of them after I've seen them, like a day or exactly. two later. It's, it's hard to remember them. So exactly. Mark's giving it a three. I'm giving it a three. Black Widow, which is now available to see in cinemas and also from Friday the 9th of July to stream on Disney Plus Premiere for the cost of twenty one ninety nine. Let's take a quick clip. You don't know everything about me. I've lived a lot of lives. Before I was an Avenger. Before I got this family. I made mistakes. Choosing between what the world wants you to be. And who you are. A clip there of Black Widow. Now, a completely different movie. I don't think you could get more diametrically opposed to Captain Marvel than a movie that is released also in cinemas this Friday, the 9th of July, called The Truffle Hunters. All about, well, truffle hunters. It's a documentary. Mark, what did you make of this? Yeah, well, the title is pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Truffle Hunters, it's about four or five uh, uh, individual truffle hunters in the Piedmont region of northern Italy. And they are ranging in age between 60-ish and 88, and they range in temperament from quietly content to, to horribly bitter. But what they all share is a very, very strong connection with their dogs um, because these guys rely completely on their these specially trained truffle hunting dogs to to uncover this rare and valuable buried treasure. Uh, their livelihood is 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 under threat through, you know, various um, economic and, and um, environmental reasons. But I think if you if you love dogs and if you love 
truffles and especially if you love both then this is certainly the movie for you also i think i i don't want to sound this like you know i'm I'm so worldly wise but i've spent a small bit of time in northern italy and if you like that part of the world which can look like paradise in this at times it is also for people who like northern italy not that i've been to mm. piedmont but I, I know some of those places uh but I thought, and I'll get to your opinion of it, but I thought this was kind of delightful because there was a lot going on with it. You had these people who were, I guess, you know, veterans of dying art, hunting truffles. You also had this story about the environment because people are laying poisons. There seems to be a problem with the truffle crop, uh, the way the dogs hunted these out, the way there was kind of go-co cameras fitted to the dogs, the way... These people adored their dogs. At one point, one of the truffle hunters is giving the dog a bath and singing to him. I just thought it was delightful. And I, I seem to say this a lot, but for people who watch a lot of movies, this was a real breath of fresh air, I thought. So I really enjoyed this. What did you think of it? That was the that was the the the, the ginger baker guy. He was playing the <laughs> he's a pretty good drummer. Yeah. Um the guy was yeah, I I I just watching that, I don't know how he lived to that age, um, sitting in the bath with a dog and a live hairdryer. I mean <laughs> He was seen. 88. He, he, I, I don't think that guy was the 88-year-old. No? He seemed to be a bit younger, but he's obviously never watched Columbo or uh, Murder, <laughs> She Wrote. You don't get into a bath with a hairdryer. Um, yeah, no, it's, it, it is, it's a very, it does what a good documentary should, which is, you know, take a subject matter that you may not find yes. especially interesting and draw you in and to make you interested in it. Um, and it, it's, it's, it looks lovely that one of the two directors, Michael Dweck, he's a photographer and a visual artist. And these, it, it, all of the interviews are shot like these little um, tableaus and they're, they're, they seem to be very carefully staged and composed and it looks very nice. Um, yeah, I mean, it's engaging. There, there does seem to be parts of this equation that are missing. And the thing that struck me about it was, uh, well, obviously there is a lot of sniffing and smelling in yes. this. And it, it, that's quite difficult to convey through the medium of, of film. <laughs> um, but um, all of the subjects talk about, you know, the old traditions and the old rules that have been abandoned. And the truffle business, it sounds like a bit like the mafia with different regions being run by different people and different families. But it doesn't really. And there's, there's talk it's of. It's a little uh, more sanguine than the mafia, I'd suggest. Yeah, I mean, there's probably a le- lot less uh, hits. <laughs> but there's talk of like poachers and, and you know, trespassers coming into yeah. other territories. But they, we don't really hear or see from these guys. Um, so that was a kind of a blind spot for me. I th- and also for a bunch of guys who supply such a rare and expensive commodity, they all seem to be dirt poor. And what this documentary doesn't really explain is why the guys who find the truffles are making nothing and the guys who buy them are making an absolute mint. I think it's something like four and a half thousand euros a kilo. Yeah, I um, think, though, that might be kind of blindingly obvious. And that's, you know, people, you could make the argument that that happens all over the world with all sorts of business, from fishing to all sorts of other human activities, that the people who actually hunt out the stuff and put it on our table are the people who actually make the least out of it. And it's yeah. the people who control, not to sound like Karl Marx, but, you know, who control the means of distribution and stuff like that are actually the people who profit from it. But I, I get what you're saying. It wouldn't be the first or the last time I've missed the blindingly obvious. Um, but one of the guys in it says he, he made he was he's selling the stuff and he says to the guy who's buying it, you know, I used to when I used to sell them down the market myself, I could make good money, but not now. Um so I mean, yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting story. They're all they're all well, they're kind of to varying degrees, they're they're all particularly likable. Mm. Um 
and it's engaging. Um, it's not going. It's not going to, you know, change your world. But it's a, it's a, it's an interesting, you know, hour and twenty minutes. Yeah, I found it really interesting, really charming kind of snapshot of you know a world you would know probably very little to to nothing about. And as I say, I, I think maybe some of those bits you felt were missing, I felt were maybe kind of almost like rhetorical questions. But maybe that's just a question of us seeing different things in it. What would you say, stars wise? Uh, I'm going to give it three and a half. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm going to give it four because I, I kind of found it delightful, you know. Uh, Where do you get your white truffles from? Do you have a, do you have a man? Yeah, I have a man who comes in you you usually, usually twice a week, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But, but it's funny, it, it, the truffles I thought looked kind of lovely when they were put on food. Like, it, you know, that kind of the idea of a, like I thought last week, another round, the movie we talked about, at times would make you want to have a drink. In this movie, you know, it kind of made you want to eat a lovely, rich Italian meal, you know? Which I don't is, which... know. I, I, I wasn't getting that. I think no? somebody, somebody described it as the, as the, the smell of uh, wet ground. I, th- I, don't, I don't know. I don't get the appeal myself. But I like that earthy taste in food, you know, but you're more of a boil-in-the-bag pasta man, you know, so... <laughs> no frills. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, lots of frills in your movie reviews. Thank you very much, Mark. Okay, thanks, John. Yes, Mark Royal there chatting to me about Black Widow which we, you know, kind of gave a, a thumbs up to, more or less. Uh, you know, it's kind of like saying, you know, when people go, it's good for a pop song, you know, it's good for a Marvel movie, which is probably doing it a disservice. It, it is a good movie with a lot of high-end action that I found quite entertaining. And I really liked Truffle Hunters, the Truffle Hunters, which is now available on cinemas, and Marvel, is, or Black Widow is also available on cinemas, and also on Disney Plus Premier Access. Up next, Paddy Slattery, the director and writer of Broken Law, on his long journey to his first feature film. Screen Time on News Talk. Now you're listening to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now, Broken Law is an Irish movie that came out last year in cinemas and it was there for, oh, as long as it could be, six or so weeks and did very well. And for reasons I have no explanation for, we never covered it on the show. All of that is about to change because it is now available to stream on Netflix. It was nominated for five or six IFTAs uh, on Sunday night's IFTAs. It didn't win any, but more of that and on just to be nominated and all that. It's written and directed by Paddy Slattery and it tells the story of two estranged brothers, I suppose, on opposite sides of the law. Dave Connolly is a respected member of the guards, but his loyalty, I guess, gets a bit questioned when his brother shows up after being in prison and then Dave gets involved in a botched robbery of sorts that Joe is involved in. It's a really good movie. I watched it last week and really enjoyed it and thought I better talk to its director and writer Paddy Slattery who had quite a journey to get the film to the cinemas in every sense of that phrase. More of that anon. Paddy how are you? Hello sir how's she cutting? Not too bad at all. Now I was thinking first up, what struck me most about your film was the brother's story. It's kind of like a, you know, an elemental Cain and Abel kind of thing, you know, two brothers against it. What was the genesis of that? Where did that come to you from? Do you have bad relationships with your own (laughs) brothers? Have you observed it in the world? You know, I I do have three brothers and we've had a a colourful relationship, (laughs) but in the best brotherly kind, because you can be the, the the worst of enemies, but but if anyone else outside of the family starts interfering, then 
you suddenly realize blood is thicker than water and uh, you're the only one that can punch your brother in the arm. Nobody else. It's, uh, yeah. it's an unwritten rule. But no, I um, would you believe initially I had written a, a huge ensemble piece, which was Magnolia-esque. Um, wow. And uh, I had high aspirations of raising a... Uh, 300,000, which is even relatively a, a small budget, but that was the original goal in maybe 2016, 17. Um, of course, we we exhausted every avenue in terms of finance, and myself and Simon Doyle, uh, my producing partner on this film, we decided in 2017, look, we can't raise the funds. It's too big, too ambitious, too many locations, characters. Let's uh, boil it down. Where is the heart and soul in the story? And there was this lovely dynamic between two brothers in the story, and we decided to peel everything away and concentrate on the spine of that that story, that intimate relationship between the brothers on opposite sides of the law. So it, it found itself really. Um, however, like you said, in terms of Cain and Abel, you don't have to go far to find that familiar dynamic uh, mm. in cinema and literature. And uh, so I watched loads and loads of movies. And one in particular was, um, would you believe, Ben Hur, uh, you know okay. the relationship between himself and what was the other character? Now he wasn't a, uh, they weren't brothers per se, but he was taken in by um, Stream and the, the, the yeah. water took him in, and so he had a brotherly relationship, but they were still very different, different from different cultural backgrounds. So I, I love that dynamic in Ben Hur where they eventually fall out over their political views. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't have to go far to research the characters. No, okay, good man. And listen, the cast is great. And I, I hate to single two people out, but John Early, or sorry, Graham Early, sorry, Graham. I'm John. Graham Early playing Joe or Joey. I just, he reminded me of someone I know. I just thought he had that brilliant, what would you say, lovable rogue. You know, he's yeah. a bad guy, but he's a good guy. Had you wanted him for it or was it just a happy casting accident? Well, I'm so glad you mentioned them. It it wasn't an accident per se because in the early stage of development, obviously I was looking at different actors and at one stage I think I had pitched it to Mo Dunford uh, and and just different things happened. Um, we worked financed um, and, and of course Mo would have been extremely busy at the time with projects. So that didn't materialize. But when we were trying to raise the funding on Indiegogo, what we did was we put together a short promo video. And what I did was I was cast in the promo and we cast Graham Early in, in the promotional one. Now it was John Connors who recommended that I check out Graham's performance in a film called Mond. And because okay. um, I saw Graham in Cardboard Gangsters and a couple of other films, he in smaller parts, you didn't really get to see the full, full spectrum of his, his ability. But in Mong, the tie was absolutely outstanding. And um, so I was secretly auditioning them during the promo with only the promise of giving them the promo. <laughs> and of course, chatting with Graham in hindsight, he was like, listen, man, I, I was turning up to do that promo, but I was secretly auditioning for the lead role or the, the Joe character as well. So by the end of that day, when we shot our promo, myself and Tristan, who played Day of the Other Brother, the three of us, myself, Graham and Tristan, were, were out on the road at night after shooting all day. And Tristan and I looked at Graham and we said, Graham, 
I think we have our job. <laughs> yeah, well, you certainly do. And I said, I said John early because I wanted to get to John Connors as well. You know, he's John Connors has become a bit of a star since mm. Love Hate. But it was actually my wife said to me, who watched it with me, in one particular scene, God, John Connors is a good actor. And she was talking about one particular scene where, yeah. let's just say he's scaring a woman in it and it's mm. spine tingling. Like he is just... He can do all sorts of things, but when he is being intimidating, there's yeah. no one quite like him. Oh, my God. Well, what I love about John, especially in this character of Wallace, is that I wanted, I didn't want a stereotypical one-dimensional antagonist or villain. Yeah. I wanted, uh, I, wanted uh, I guess, a, a disenfranchised rogue who, who happens to tippy-toe across the line of what's right and what's wrong, but... But what I love about John's performance in this is that one minute he can make you laugh and in an instant he can put the hair standing on the back of your neck with fear. Um, And John can do that on a dime. And what I love about John as well is that he's he's not necessarily a method actor. A lot of actors need a lot of preparation. They need a runway leading into a performance. And John can go. John, I don't know if it's something in his traveler background where they're, they're natural storytellers and they're quite impulsive and, and 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 it's just in his DNA. But John can just, if you ask John on the hop to give me a performance, he can do it and there was no no messing about. But that particular scene with uh, Ali Nikera in, mm. that, in that scene, we, we we went through that, myself and Ali and John, and I, I my only rules with John was don't cross the line, don't injure her. And, and, of course, Ali was completely aware and ready for, for what was to come because we didn't we didn't really tell Ali what necessarily was going to come out of his mouth at that time. We just knew it was going to be ferocious. Um, and I, she was prepared, and she, she was a complete pro. She was like, look, bring it on. I'm ready for it. And if you look at her performance in reaction to his intimidation, yeah. especially when she's standing in the hallway after he leaves, Listen to the fear in her voice. Mm. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Well said. Listen, as you're talking there, and you said to me at the start of the interview, how she couldn't, right? You are from Offaly, from the great metropolis of (laughs) Clombalogue, which I have a passing acquaintance with. But I'll tell you something I also liked about the movie. You didn't overdub it. And by dub, I don't mean some hip-hop reference. (laughs) I actually mean Dublin. Because sometimes I find... There can be people, as I say, they over Dublinize stuff and, and they become, for want of a better phrase, cartoon gangsters. I grew up in Dublin. I know how I think some of those people are meant to send and you got it spot on. So was that just because you were working with the right people or how did you pull that off? Um, would you believe we actually got a, a bit of criticism from some people because they found that there was a little bit of a contrast in terms of, of accents with certain characters and I wasn't so much worried about the geographic authenticity of the characters. I just wanted them to be, I guess, accessible to a, an outside ear. Yeah. Because when you go too colloquial, it's like a different language. And I guess I, I'm thinking with my producer's hat on now, if we if we want to sell our film in America or Europe or anything like that, chances are it might need subtitles. So I wanted to eliminate that possibility as much as possible and, and um, so, yeah, I my only direction in terms of dialect was like I wanted to be reserved a little. I wanted to try and neutralize it a little bit where it can be accessible to the ear. 
Um, but at the same time, I wanted it to be authentic and, and um, so yeah, well, it, it it certainly was authentic and and it it sounded colloquial in the right way to me. But I know what you're saying about the states. You don't want another commitment on your hand where it's yeah. subtitle or anything. And then they would actually have to overdub it. But anyway, yeah. listen. Yeah. I mentioned uh, at the start you've had some of your own challenges. Uh, you mm. have been in a wheelchair since the age of seventeen uh, yeah. after a pretty bad car accident. Mm. But I suppose in a strange dovetailing of events your whole interest in cinema kind of came about as a result of that do, do i have that right you do yeah i like after that that car crash i was in hospital for a year and then in and out of rehabilitation for another two years so my 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 pastime at the time was watching films and physiotherapy eat sleep and and go again so like i fell in love with not just filmmaking, but just storytelling in general. And and I guess in a nutshell, I, I felt at that point in my life, I was so restricted in what I could say and, and where I could go, I guess, physically, that that back into myself, and I started to discover that there was a lot more to myself than, than met the eye. And, and storytelling was, I guess, a great opportunity for me to express myself. So I started with poetry and, and even songwriting and um, that evolved into short stories. And somebody along the road said to me, Jenny Paddy, them stories you're writing, they're fairly good. Did you download them off Google? And I, <laughs> I was like, actually, no, I just, I came up with the stories. I loved creating these different scenarios. It was a great escape for me. So that somehow evolved into uh, writing uh, short scripts and, and I woke up one morning with the, the notion of becoming a filmmaker because as ideological uh, as it might sound, I felt I was living in a world that I didn't quite get on with in terms of what the world was saying to me in relation to my disability and how I should be perceived by the public. And I thought, yeah. I thought film, music, literature, radio, journalism, your, your job there, it's such an influential uh, medium that I thought, you know what, if I get involved in filmmaking, maybe there's an opportunity for me to maybe impart some of my own experience and some of my own wisdom uh, on, on other people. And maybe it might change people's perceptions of who I am as a person, because although I'm a wheelchair user, I don't consider myself to be disabled in any kind of way. Uh, and through this medium of film, I can kind of prove to people that uh, there's nothing I cannot do or there's nowhere I cannot go through the power of my imagination. Yeah. Well said, and and then like maybe maybe it's an obvious question, but so when you when you're directing a movie, I mean you're unable to walk. You use a wheelchair. Are they serious? I mean, sounds like a ridiculous question, but but maybe mm. you can tell me otherwise. How serious is that a challenge to direct a movie? Because one might think, well, with the way technology is now, it's of no hindrance. But at the same time, you are in a wheelchair. So how mm. much of an added complication is that for a director? No, it, there's nothing uh, silly about that question. It's a very practical question, and filmmaking is a very practical job. Yeah, and and it's it's hugely physical. In fact, one of my fears was would I be physically capable of doing it? Mm-hmm. And it was a local filmmaker here, actually, Declan Rex, who who would have directed Pure Mule and yeah. Eden and stuff like the Flag. It was Declan that said to me, he "said Paddy, the technology is out there. You can direct the film from the seat of your pants." True wireless technology and monitors you can be sitting in a little 
office here and direct the battle scene, you know, two miles yeah. away in the field. And once I knew that, I knew there was nowhere I couldn't go in terms of communicating. And, and I think for any director, I think the, the most important tool you need is a communicational skill with people, especially people in a film business who there's so many diverse personalities. Sure. Media. And and I, I figured if there's one skill I have, I think it's it's communicating and getting along with people. And um, yeah, once once I knew I could do that, and once you can earn people's trust and their faith, and that you're capable of, of of not just writing a script, but being able to, I guess, organize and orchestrate some kind of a, a coherent scene on a set, then they will they will go with it. And mm-hmm. I've never encountered anybody that's ever judged me on the fact that I'm in a wheelchair or at least anyone that I've worked with, I've always had that sort of mutual respect. And it's only when I maybe show somebody that maybe I'm maybe lacking in experience or whatever, that's where, you, you know, the challenge really comes in. And I guess that's natural. Like any filmmaker, you're learning as you go. So yeah. Yeah, yeah of course it, it was tough. I'll be honest with you, John. And like I had to structure the actual shoot uh, in order to accommodate my physical ability because there's no way I was going to be able to do five consecutive days for four consecutive weeks. Uh, I just wouldn't have had the time to be able to squeeze in my my medical interventions and my physical therapy and all that kind of stuff. So so we structured our shoot around my ability, my physical ability, which wasn't that much of an inconvenience after all. And that, that was my biggest fear. Will I be able to restructure a shoot to accommodate myself? And you remember um, Simon Fitzmaurice, who of was course. Sadly passed yeah. away since. Now he made my name is Emily um, his debut feature. Uh, in fact, one of the short films he made, which I think won at Sundance, starring Martin McCann. I cannot think of the name of it, but that was a short film I had watched maybe 12, 13 years ago, and that was actually one of the short films that made me sit up and think, "Wow, I want to be a filmmaker." Uh, and then, ironically, years later, Simon uh, had a MND and um, yeah, but anyway, I looked very closely at how how Simon was going to produce his feature, and I watched how they structured it. Now I wasn't involved in the production; I was just a a curious busybody on the outskirts, looking yeah. from the outside in to see how they did it because I wanted to know what what whatever challenges he was going to encounter, I was probably going to encounter. So when I realized they could do it, it was I had no fear going into our production. Great. Well, you certainly pulled it off and then some. Now, I mentioned at the top it was in cinemas for, you know, a briefer stint than it might have been because of this crazy yeah. pandemic that we're all tired of talking about. It did very well in the cinemas, but it's also now on Netflix, which is uh, a big deal. Uh, and I presume you're delighted about that because that brings it to a whole other audience. Uh, it, it's amazing. Uh, like Breakout Pictures, our distribution company, um. Like, you know yourself in this industry, writing a script is fine. Making a film, it's difficult, but you can eventually get it done. But then getting your movie out to an audience, that's a whole new challenge altogether. Yeah. And thankfully, when Simon and I met Breakout Pictures at the, the Galway Film Fly Market, and they were just as enthusiastic as we were about our film and getting it out there, we realized, oh, wow. It just felt like a dream come true because it was really down to Rob and Nell with making those deals with Netflix and those TV deals and the mm-hmm. distribution to cinema and all that kind of stuff. And like, as a filmmaker, your dream is to have your movie 
in a cinema with an audience or nowadays it's almost a more modern dream is to have your movie on Netflix you know <laughs> a poor old Martin Scorsese will cringe at, at the thoughts <laughs> now but look he made the Irishman yeah won't call him out for but but look it is what it is and modern audiences now we go to our TV screens in our living room for our content and the kind of ironic that the, the COVID almost pushed people into that sort of market so so when we did eventually hit uh, Netflix there, that just exploded. Like people were, like I thought I, like I was inundated with messages on social media and texts and all that during the cinema release. But but the Netflix thing, that was a different level. I had to switch off my phone and abandon it for two <laughs> days. I couldn't go near it. Wow. Well, look, hopefully there's room for both, you know, cinema and streaming services. Yeah, yeah. I obviously enjoyed Broken Law a lot. So just finally then, I'm curious to know, given the one movie of yours that I've seen, well, I think it's the only full feature you've made, but there's plenty of time. What's next then? Oh, my God. Well, next is actually the reason I was a little late getting into this conversation with you, because I just got off a Zoom meeting and I... I'm in the throes of research now with my next script. And all I know is that it's going to be probably the most personal story I will ever tell. And it's, um, it's if I make films for the next 40 years of my life, and I hope I'm privileged to do so, mm-hmm. no matter what I might do, I think my next film will be the one that people will say that I was born to make. It's, it's going to be a film about, it's about, appreciate what you have and sometimes sadly it's something in our human nature that we only really appreciate something when it's gone or we always tend to look beyond the pale or the grass is always green around the other side we always assume that something's better just just out of, of arm's reach but then when we have it again human nature we, we, we get used to it and we think oh, well I need something else and sometimes we only appreciate the gifts that we have in our life when they're taken away from us. And I want to explore that theme in my next film. And all I can tell you is the title is going to be called Reverse, about a character who thinks they're taking two steps forward in their life, but ironically, they're actually taking three steps back and realizing that they were actually better off all along before they started to make these ridiculous changes to their lives. Well, listen perspective executive producers get your checkbooks ready uh, that will be the next movie the current one we want to talk about written and directed by Paddy Slattery is Broken Law it's now available to stream on Netflix and I suggest you do it Paddy Slattery thanks a million for chatting to me my pleasure up next writer and director Dave Minogue of the new Irish road movie Poster Boys Screen Time on News Talk. Now you're listening to Screen Time, News Talks TV and Movie Show. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone about their favourite movie. Now, earlier in the week, or sorry, earlier in the show, I should say, we were talking about the new releases. And there's one we didn't mention called Poster Boys, which was written and directed by Dave Minogue. And it also stars his nephew, who plays a nephew to an uncle travelling across the country, putting up posters in a camper van. Well, he's putting up posters in shops and places like that in a bid to save his job. We spoke to Dave last last year about his movie which is a great little movie and I mean little in the best sense of the phrase it was in the Galway Film Fla but I'm delighted to say it's getting a cinema release this Friday the 9th of July it has cameos by people like Keith Duffy Ian Dempsey and also an old friend of this show Bobby Kerr who also executive produced it more of that anon because Dave is here to talk to me about his favourite movie hi Dave 
Hey, John, how's it going? That was a long intro, wasn't it? But you deserve one, you know, all that's going on. <laughs> yeah, it's a busy, busy time of year. So listen, your fav- we'll get to Poster Boys in a while, the movie that's in cinemas from the 9th of July. Uh, I bet you weren't sure if you'd hear me say that this time last year. But anyway, <laughs> your favorite movie, what have you opted for? I went for My Cousin Vinny. Uh-huh. Why? Well, uh, I uh, the question actually stressed me out. I spent a good day going, what do I pick? What's my favourite film? <laughs> good. Um, Mission accomplished. Yes. Trying to unease you. I didn't think it would, uh, you know, because there's a ton to pick. <laughs> there's a lot of films out there. But um, My Cousin Vinny is, it's a go-to example of a perfect film. If you're, a lot of people say Casablanca, and I'm not saying it's better than Casablanca, but it's definitely not worse <laughs> than Casablanca. <laughs> wow. So what makes it a perfect film? Well, there's no fat to it and it's just so juicy and you can watch it the whole, like the whole way through multiple times where you can jump in here and there and you're hooked. It just catches you and you're, you're gone with it. And the characters are... Remind people what it's about, if you would. It starts off with uh, these two young lads about to go to college and they inadvertently uh, shoplift by accident. And, but it also happens that that, that shop the shopkeeper gets murdered just after they leave and they get pegged for it but in like a comedy of errors they accidentally admit to killing the guy and uh the karate kid is in it. i forget his real name but the karate kid is like my my cousin's a, a lawyer let's call him in and then uh vinnie shows up and he's played by joe pesci and he's just an absolute mm. character that you wouldn't really bet on anything you'd be checking your pants afterwards to see if he took your wallet kind of guy and uh he comes in and he him and his fiance uh, marissa tomei come in and they're just two wild characters and they're here to save the day and there's just no fate in if you think they'll pull it off and joe pesci of course is this why i saw is marissa tomei wise talking new yorker yeah yeah and like they're even on the hustle when they're there and they're constantly bickering and fighting and screaming at each other. And they're just real fish out of water kind of people. Like it's just uh they're just the kind of characters that you love to watch but don't really want to be around too much. And you said it was the perfect film and I kind of stopped you in your tracks, but it's perfect because there's no fat on it, but you're also saying the characters work in a way that just holds up every time. Yeah, well there's there's so much like the Gambini family, so Vincent Gambini is the name of Joe Pesci's character, like they're never there, but you know exactly who they are, and you come, you almost know their sitting room or their kitchen table. Like you know exactly who these people are, and that's just from them and the way they talk, like in the scene. So like it's giving you so much without actually showing you anything, and it leaves so much into the mind of the the audience that it's like the audience is doing so much work, but it's being spoon fed everything. But like the you know the bad guy is this anonymous killer that you never actually see. And then the threat is the is this um, the execution, but it's all it's kind of relayed through this other counter execution that's happening at the same time as the court case. So you're you're constantly aware of what's at stake, but you're also constantly aware of what's going on in every single person's mind. And there's no real actual bad guys in it either because they're all acting with the best of intentions. And just the way it's mm. executed is that the audience is constantly aware of all of that. And that's what makes it so funny as well. The judge with his <laughs> patiently putting up with uh, Joe Pesci, but in the judge's mind, he's putting up 
very patiently with Joe Pesci. But uh, from uh, Joe Pesci's character's point of view, the judge is out for him the whole time. And it just keeps mm. building on this comic of errors. And Ralph Macchiato is the guy you uh, mentioned uh, who was in The Karate Kid, of course. And he's actually pretty decent in it as well. Yeah, he's brilliant. Um, he's very good at that character, like being a, that innocent and kind of naive young lad. And we should mention, you know, everyone mes- mentions Joe Pesci, but Marissa Tomei actually won an Oscar for it. She's brilliant oh, she's as his amazing. long-suffering other half. Yeah, like you, you could just watch them all day. Like there's, there's just this one little scene where they're sitting down and they're eating corn at a cob. They're talking about the correct way to replace a carburetor. It's just beautiful the way they're interacting and just kind of nodding and smiling. It's just so authentic. You can't really fault it. Like there is no faults in it. Wow, a perfect movie. Who would have thought he'd be describing my cousin Vinny? Well, look, that's, you know, that's mission accomplished. You made a good case for it. I haven't seen that in about, I don't know, on VHS 30 years, but uh, maybe I will rewatch because it sounds like it's worth a revisit. Well, listen, talking of perfect little movies, there is a movie coming out called Poster Boys, which is in cinemas this Friday, July 9th. It must have been a strange year for you. I was talking to you last year about the movie and it was being shown in the Galway Film Fla and you really didn't know where it was going to go after that. So I presume you're delighted and a little apprehensive about it finally getting a cinema release. Yeah, it's uh, like it's been, everyone's had a strange year, so I don't feel special in how strange the year has been. But um, the yeah, it's just been phenomenal. Like we brought it to, Nobody wanted to touch it for ages. And then we brought it to the American film market. And the <laughs> there was one conference, like a video conference, where someone said, no. And throughout this whole period, sorry, people, anyone we talked to was like, you should have made a horror movie. People only want to see horrors right now. Then we go to this marketplace thing, and someone said, nobody wants horrors. They want upbeat family comedies. And every single meeting we had was like, an offer 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 of like people looking to represent it and sell it for us so like in a way it was like that hollywood moment but also you know it's over zoom in a chat room and i'm standing in Mm. in my jocks on a a webcam so it's a very surreal time and so but we have a cinema release now will you just remind people you know how much of a shoestring this was made for um well, I put it this way, when I was returning the gear and we were missing a wire, it was like seven euro. I argued with the guy over why I shouldn't have to pay that seven euro. Yeah, it was very tight. We we had um like about twenty five thousand to get through it, but we spent mm-hmm. um a lot of that money on the camper van because I crashed it. So I had to buy it. Okay. <laughs> so um so yeah, it was very tight and we just we packed everything into the camper van, the crew, the camera, the food the costumes and then we just went so we had to have ryan my nephew who plays carl in it in yeah. at home in bed by 10 o'clock every night so at the start of every day we'd look at how far we could go and shoot something and get back in time for 10 o'clock and we just pack everything into the cam- camper van and just leg off for the for the day and yeah go <laughs> go on keep showing up at people's houses or their shops and asking if we could shoot there for five minutes and then rocking on to the next town and doing the same thing over and over again I mean, we talk about guerrilla filmmaking. That is really uh, guerrilla filmmaking. And I mentioned Bobby Kerr at the start. He's an executive producer and he's also an ice cream man in it as well, right? So he has a cameo. Yeah, a uh, nice little cameo where him and uh, Carol, uh, the young boy in it, interact. And 
he makes them a little ice cream, gives them a bit of worldly advice and then sends them on their way. Now, I should mention, like, it's, it's you know, it's been around. It was in the Galway Film Festival. I read a decent review of it in The Guardian the other day, I think it was. Yeah. So, I mean, this isn't just me saying it, but it's getting a good reaction from the people who've seen it. Yeah, and I think the subject matter, like, it's, it's very funny, but it also has serious moments. And I think the subject matter is, it's very odd now with the housing crisis and the rent crisis and, just the way people are feeling about the, the gig economy and work. Um, mm. It seems to be resonating quite well with anyone who's seen it so far. Yeah, and I should mention again, there's a very affecting, you know, central relationship at, at, its, you saw at its heart between an uncle and a nephew. Yeah, not saying I stole from uh, my uncle or cousin Vinny, but um, a lot <laughs> of the, the stuff that was going on there, I was trying to remember, like having a lot of the story or a lot of characters exist in the mind of the audience and the threat being in the mind of the audience, um, which is the same as rent. Like rent is always in your mind. It's not necessarily coming after you like a lion or a bear. It's just mm. a psychological torture sometimes. As in who's, who's going to pay the rent? How am I going to pay the rent this month? Yeah. Or will this invoice be paid on time or I'm going to have to chase this for another two months before I get it? And how am I going to pay the rent if this doesn't land on time? That kind yeah. of thing. Well, listen, Poster Boys, as I say, is in cinemas from the 9th of July and we hope it stays there a long time because it is is well worth its position there and it was made for a pittance. And what I really like about it is it it so doesn't look like that. If you had told me it was 10 times or 20 times the price of the production, I would have believed you. So I, I think that's high praise for it indeed. And there's two great central performances at its heart. Listen, finally then, and I'm not sure how much you can tell me about this, but your next project sounds like it might be a bigger one <laughs> just slightly yeah yeah i can't really say too much about it but it's a lot of fun and it's very central around ireland um and it's a, an adventure thing for for young people like kids kind of stuff so it's um yeah it's it's still in development but it's looking really good wow he really can say very little about it because you we have no idea what he's talking about but uh i've <laughs> I know what he's talking about. And if it all comes to pass, it will be very big. But in the meantime, you should go and see Poster Boys in the cinema, which is available on July 9th in selected cinemas. And you should also, according to Dave Minogue, its director, check out My Cousin Vinny, because he says it is a perfect movie. Dave, thanks a lot. Thanks, John. Thanks so much. When you viewed the defendants walking from their car into the sack of suds, what angle was your point of view? They was kind of walking toward me when they entered the store. And when they left, what angle was your point of view? They was kind of walking away from me. So would you say you got a better shot at them going in and not so much coming out? You could say that. I did say that. Would you say that? Yeah. Is it possible the two youths... Uh, uh, to what? Uh oh, what was that word? Uh, what word? To what? What? Did you say utes? Yeah, two utes. What is a ute? Oh, excuse me, Your Honor. Two youths. A clip there from my cousin Vinny. Utes. Joe Pesci just sounds like, you know, the platonic form of an East Coast American, a New Yorker. I, I think if anyone attempts to do that kind of Brooklyn, New York accent. It's a Joe Pesci impersonation they end up doing. He is Mr. 
New York. And uh, my thanks to Dave Minogue, whose favourite movie is My Cousin Vinny, but whose movie that he wrote and directed, Poster Boys, is in selected cinemas this weekend. And as I say, it's executive produced by Bobby Kerr. That is it for this week. My thanks to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out on the show. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm, right here on Newstalk. It's on at 9 this week on Saturday, and it's also repeated on Sunday at 8pm because of the Lions coverage. You can get in touch with me at any stage during the week. John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle. Or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Take care.